I'm Liz, your host and the wife and mom behind Unedited Motherhood. Together, we'll talk about all the struggles that we face as adults. Nothing is off limits. We'll uncover important truths and maybe even learn some tips to make our lives a little simpler and a lot more enjoyable. Thanks for joining me. Have you been having a difficult time getting your hands on some high quality animal protein? Before using ButcherBox, I was having to visit multiple grocery stores to find the quality of chicken, beef, pork, and fish that I like to buy. Now I can select what cuts of meat I want and design my own box each month with ButcherBox. In addition, I can select special member deals and add-ons each month to fit my meal plan and fill my freezer. I pick what day I want it to be billed, customizing each date based on my current quantity, knowing it'll come in just two days. Try ButcherBox today. Use the link in my show notes or on the blog for $30 off your first order. Welcome back to Unedited Motherhood. We are back with Rachel Elder, my friend and licensed therapist. We are starting our third topic this week. We are on to marriage. I think this is going to be a two-parter too, guys. It's going to be great. So buckle in. Um, We're going to go ahead and get started because we have a lot to get through. So first of all, I want to mention a couple of things. Oh, Rachel, say hi real quick before I just keep talking. (laughs) Hi. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) Before I just keep steamrolling over her. Um, Rachel specializes in couples and marriage counseling. Um, so this is her area of expertise. So I'm hoping that we can get through a lot of really great material. And she also has a public Facebook page called building stronger marriages, where she shares lots of helpful tips and strategies that you can use to grow closer to your partner. So we will link those in the show notes for people. And she would love to connect with you there. And she also has a an Instagram page, which I failed to mention in previous weeks called Rachel Elder Therapy that we will also link for you in the show notes. So Rachel, let's start with choosing a partner for marriage. Um, I know we kind of talked about dating the last couple of weeks um, or last week, but since this is more relating to marriage, I thought a good question might be to ask, is your boyfriend marriage material? I think um, women get stuck in these long-term relationships where they're basically married, but they're not married. And then, you know, when it comes time to start thinking about it, they're like, do I even want to marry this person? Um, And they kind of feel like, well, we've been together for so long. That's just one way to look at it. Um, I guess that's where my head immediately went, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think when I hear this question, is someone ready for marriage? That is such a subjective point of view, right? Only, only like I can know if I'm ready. My partner can know if they're ready, right? We can't force someone to be ready. Um, But if you're in a relationship and you are ready to take that next step, I think you know, if there's a practical way of going about it, it's looking at your individual values, but then like your, your values as a couple too. So I often guide couples through this in our sessions that we do, um, when there's miscommunication or we're exploring what's next, are you ready to, to get engaged or get married or have a baby? Um, looking at their individual values and making sure they both understand each other's individual values and why it's important to them, but then also their couple values. Um, I often reference kind of the, what's it called? Um, Like the family crest 
of mm-hmm. doing something similar with your couple's values, right? What do you, what do you want your relationship to be known for or kind of built upon? Mm-hmm. So maybe it's trust, loyalty, love, hope, right? Maybe those are a few of your values that you both share and want to build upon. If your values are, I don't want to say super diverse because they can be, but if they feel like they're on like way different pages, mm-hmm. it might be important to slow down, keep having more conversations and continue to assess what do you need in order to step mm-hmm. forward and make that next step. And I think a good question for that too is like, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people in the dating phase are more worried about just finding somebody that they're compatible with and that they get along with and they have good chemistry with. And they kind of put some of those heavier things on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's a fine idea, but I think somewhere along the line, you have to check in with those things that you put on the back burner and kind of see where you're at before you get too serious with somebody. Because I have a friend that just had to end a six and a half year relationship because you know, when they first got together, they just were like riding the waves. And then, you know, when major things started coming up down the road, they weren't on the same page and they were okay to not be on the same page until they weren't. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the relationship ended and, um, and kids, I think is the biggest one for people. Um, but finances are a huge thing for people too. Um, and, you know, setting your expectations where you want to be in 10 years, do you want to be traveling or, um, you know, not a workaholic, but, you know, are you going to have a really demanding job and, you know, what, what do you, what is your family dynamic or even your personal dynamic look like in your future and how do you fit into that mm-hmm. or how does your partner fit into that? Yeah. Yeah. You definitely need to be having those conversations, right? Especially you know, if you want to have kids and you find out the person you're with has no desire for that, you need to really be clear of, is this something that I can let go? Is this something that is, I'm not willing to let go? How are we going to navigate this? Is there compromise here? You have to be having those conversations as great as it feels to be in love and imagining a wedding and, you know, kind of the rom, the romance movie of, happily ever after and living life together a beautiful house where you want it and yeah. yeah it's not so easy once you're in it you have you're different you're different people and that's okay but can you work together through your differences through your different ideas and are you going to be able to compromise right you know, if and- you're in a relationship that doesn't allow for compromise that I, I think that's a big red flag yeah and I know from some relationships that I've seen, the one I just mentioned being one of them, like when the good times are good, they're really good. But Mm -hmm. then when they hit one of those disagreements, the bad times are then really bad. Mm -hmm. And so you're bouncing between like great and terrible because of these, like maybe one just important thing, but it could be, you know, more than one. Um, But those things are, you know, people try to avoid them to avoid conflict. And then they end up, you know, not being on the same page at the end of the day when they face those hard times. And if you don't have enough of a foundation with somebody where you can say, these are the most important things to me, these, you know, 
oops, sorry. These, you know, five things or three things or whatever, you know, if those don't align with somebody and there's no compromise, then, you know, I feel like that's a point where there needs to be a clean break Mm -hmm. because when you decide to stick in, stick with it for love, it's usually where heartbreak ends up coming back and kicking you in the butt down the road. Yeah. Well, I think people often, you know, associate premarital counseling with these conversations, but you don't have to be engaged to do a form of premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. There've been multiple couples I've worked with who have come for this idea of premarital counseling to learn a good foundation, communication, conflict resolution skills, and having support navigating some of these questions, right? About finances, Mm -hmm. growing a family, um, merging your lives together. And it's meant like, that's what couples therapy is meant to be. It's ideally couples therapy is engaged with when you are ready to learn new skills and grow your relationship. Mm -hmm, Oftentimes it's people come in when they are stuck in a a rut or there's been a lot of conflict or they're kind of at their ropes end and they come in wanting to change things and it can be a little bit harder. So if you are with someone and you guys are having these conversations, it doesn't, it really helps to have that objective point of view kind of help you facilitate the conversations and guide you through it Mm -hmm. because a, a person who's not necessarily involved in your life can help point out things that maybe you're not considering or they're picking up on some of your nonverbals or themes that are really important to you and help guide you into the conversations so that I mean that's one thing that premarital counseling can do but there Mm -hmm. are also a ton of resources and assessments you can take too to help you sort out like okay where are growth areas and where are the areas that we need to work on to grow stronger together Um, and you can see a therapist for supporting those or find resources. Goodness. I have so many resources of Mm -hmm. things to just read or consider before getting married. Right. And I think there's, you know, there's definitely a stigma that therapy is only for people that are, you know, broken or need help or are failing Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, And, you know, that's just not true. And I think part of the reason people avoid couples counseling is because either one, they don't want to admit they have a problem or two, they know there's a problem and they don't want to face it. Mm -hmm. Um, But Josh and I actually, even, I feel like even healthy couples that don't have any conflict can still benefit from, you know, premarital counseling. We didn't do any formal premarital counseling, but we did by, I think it's called saving your marriage before it starts. And it's like a workbook that you both read through. And then you have your own exercise books that you do. You like read a chapter and then you do your own exercises. And then you talk about, you know, how you both responded to the same, um, you know, activities and questions that were asked through the book. And, and that was great. And that was super eye-opening, even though, you know, we hadn't disagreed on anything major, we hadn't fought about anything important and we hadn't even come across anything that we didn't agree on, but it was still really helpful to see where there might be potential issues down the road, even though we weren't having any conflict at the time. Yeah. Well, my husband and I did premarital. I mean, he didn't really have a choice. I was studying to be a therapist. (laughs) I was like, we're doing this. I want to know what it's like. So you're along for the ride, but he was terrified. He, his impression was, 
you know, premarital counseling is for the therapist to tell you whether you should get married or not. Right. And by the end of our sessions, he, he loved it. We talk often about, we need to go back because it was just so good. You know, even if I was crying or we were working through a conflict, we left feeling stronger and feeling like we had support and tools to, to use to help us. Um, and, you know, someone who was anti-therapy and really resistant to it came out the other side encouraging other people to do it give it a chance and we only did I think we did like a six session kind of package so we weren't even in it long term and he I mean he still raves about it to this day which I did not expect and obviously was a bonus for me that he got to see what therapy can be like and that it was a positive experience yeah absolutely so we talked a little bit about that I, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, knowing whether or not you're ready to get married, you know, forget your spouse or your partner, but like you personally, Mm -hmm. um, what kind of, uh, milestones do you need to hit in your own personal development before you think somebody's ready to make a lifelong commitment to someone? Well, I think I get hung up on the word milestones. Well, not my, I mean, you know, a don't think of it as like milestones so much. Um, There's probably a better way for me to word that. No, I I think it's just a hard question to answer, right? Because it comes back to it's a very subjective decision. Now, I think there are things to consider, right? Of what does marriage add to your life? Why is it important to you? I don't want to say why do you need it, but in a way like why? Why with this person? Why do you feel like this is the, the right step for you to take with them? Do you feel like you are emotionally invested in this relationship, not just physically or mentally? Do you have all three of those components for you? And can you see yourself 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 plus years from now still standing beside this person and Mm -hmm. choosing to do life with them every single day? Mm -hmm. Um, And think about maybe envision some worst case scenarios, right? Of a loss in your family or having a year of difficult hardships and communication. Do you believe or do you want to work it out with this person no matter what life throws at you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think those are easy questions to answer. Um, and they take some time to think through and really make sure that you're mentally, emotionally, physically preparing yourself to invest into this person for, you know, the, I ideally the rest of your life. Right. And I think where I was kind of thinking that's all. Yeah. That's all 100%. I think where my head was at was more of, um, like your own personal mental and emotional health before, even being ready to commit to somebody. So people Mm, that have like codependency issues or childhood trauma or Mm -hmm. people that had, you know, strained relationships with their parents or things like that, that, you know, kind of jump from relationship to relationship, trying to fulfill something, um, Mm -hmm. but personally aren't really prepared, um, for a healthy relationship. Yeah, I, 
I think it's hard for me to answer this one because so much of my work is that it is working through, you know, when one partner does have childhood trauma or had not a healthy attachment style to their parents or their caregivers. And yet they still chose to get married and they're still able to work through it. It's just a, it's like a couple kind of having to work through it together versus independently resolving the issues prior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, ideally, if you can spend time processing those things before you get married, it is going to set you up, right? To allow yourself to heal from past wounds, past traumas, negative experiences allows you to step into a relationship with healthier emotional mentalities. Um, but it's, it's the ideal, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, not everyone has access to the ability to process through those things. Not everyone can afford it. Um, it, it doesn't always play out that way. Right. Um, and people don't always realize that they need that help Yeah. either. Yeah. It's, it's oftentimes in our own relationship that we start to recognize, oh, mm-hmm. This is my, my life story playing out in this relationship. Now I am reenacting things from my past with this person. Um, and that's really hard. And so it's learning either doing the individual processing or going into it together and increasing understanding around why this is happening and what you can do differently. Yeah. But if you know, I think if you know, going in that you have some of those concerns that you mentioned, you know, Mm -hmm. spend some time, whether it's reading a book or seeing a therapist or finding a mentor to talk through those things and help yourself heal if you can before then committing Mm -hmm. to someone who is going to bear that with you. Yeah. And I think sometimes, not all the time, but I think sometimes because of the issues that people have attached to their past, they're maybe not choosing the right partner Mm -hmm. because if they have, you know, I know those patterns develop at an early age that you kind of repeat the cycles that you experienced in childhood. You're looking for somebody based on your experiences that you had when you're younger and not necessarily the right type of person for you, which I guess is where my head was at. It's like, if you know, if you can figure out that you've got things that you need to work through, it might keep you from being with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then be able to choose then a better person for you. Oh yes, definitely. So let's move on to um, some expectations that we set um, as individuals or as couples um, before getting married, or even, you know, once you get married um, and let's, Let's say, um, how do you know if you have realistic or healthy expectations about what a marriage should look like? And Mm -hmm. I think this is a a unique question for you because I know you and your husband, um, you know, had differing expectations of what marriage and parenthood would look like for you down the road that um, was something that you guys had to work through. Yeah. 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 Realistic expectations. So how do you know if you have realistic or unrealistic? Well, and I think realistic versus unrealistic is subjective because it's all about 
you know, your own personal expectations. So your, my expectations may be realistic, but they may see, seem unrealistic to my partner. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I know that you've experienced that, but I know that that's, you know, common too, you know, the more you spend time with your partner, the more you realize that they may not have been raised exactly the way that you were raised. And so their expectations on what marriage is going to look like to them versus you is totally dependent on the influences that they grew up around, whether it was their parents or an aunt and uncle or their friend's parents or, you know, what they watched on TV. Mm -hmm. And how do you, um, say, say you're already married. How do you overcome those things, um, and find a place to meet in the middle with expectations that honors both person's, you know, preferences yes, or okay. ideas? I think, I think I know how to respond to this now. Okay. Um, so what I've, I think I, we did this in our own premarital counseling. And I also do this with the couples that I work with is just exploring the roles and expectations you both hold, mm-hmm. right? So what role do you think? Sometimes we break it down to like household, uh, work-wise mm-hmm. or career-wise, family-wise, children-wise, of uh, breaking it down into categories to help you start exploring but also then just naming like, well, this is what I expect my partner to do, or I think this is the role they will have in our relationship and laying it on the table to hear the differences or to hear some of the similarities um, and then getting really, really realistic, right? So, you know, one difference in my own relationship was I came from a family where both parents worked And then my husband came from a family where one parent worked and the other parent stayed home. Mm -hmm. And he thought, well, that's just how it's going to be for me too. But I was in grad school getting a degree to be a therapist. And for me, I was like, what made you think that's what was going to happen? Like, Mm -hmm. why would I be in school right now if I just wanted to stay at home for the rest of my life? Like, this is a waste of money then. So we had a lot of conversation about what's realistic and You know, he really thought once I had a baby that I'd want to stay home. And I kept saying, I'm not going to know until I'm in that moment. So we had a lot of back and forth conversation of what's realistic here is we can't make a decision right now. We can keep having conversations around it and exploring why it's important for me to fill this role in this way, but we have to be willing to keep having the conversation and be prepared Mm -hmm. that it may not look in the ideal way. Right. And that's a great one because staying home with kids is becoming more popular again. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind Mm -hmm. of coming back, you know, that kind of died off around world war two in the 1950s or so, but you know, we're kind of coming back around to an age where moms or even dads want to stay home and raise their babies, which I think is great if you can, and you want to, and you're able to, that's awesome. I do that. And I love it. I still work, you know, I'm, doing this podcast, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I love being home with my kids, but I think, um, that's a great point that needs to be discussed. But then an, an additional layer to that, that I was just thinking about as you were talking is that not only do you both want to work, but what if one partner has, um, a career that's extremely demanding and Mm -hmm. requires support from the spouse. And I know your husband's work, 
at least when you were, um, you know, dating and engaged, it was very aggressive. Like his hours were very long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know some people, you know, they, they produce music or they travel for work. And so they lecture, so they need their spouse to kind of carry a heavier burden or, mm-hmm. you know, support them. And I know your, your in-laws, you know, he was probably looking to your relationship the way he looked at his parents, which was that his dad ran this successful business and his, his mom supported him. Mm-hmm. And so that's another you know, layer to that. It's not only you have to think about his career and her career, but how does that career affect the other person, especially Mm -hmm. with your career being so that, you know, you have patient and, you know, doctor confidentiality essentially so that, you know, you may not always be able to decompress the same way a normal person would. And that's another, you know, factor to consider. Yeah. Well, I mean, just from my own experience, we had so many conversations and I had, I mean, I, I probably talked with you. I know I talked with lots of people of, do I feel like I can step into that role Mm -hmm. and do I really want to, I think that's why, you know, talking about these areas are so important to do before taking that next step. Or if you are engaged, having the conversation now until versus once you're married and you're like, oh crap. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what you expected of me. I have no desire to do that whatsoever ever in my life. Mm-hmm. You've got an issue right there already. Um, yeah. And I mean, I was super lucky to have lots of people to help me understand, you know, it doesn't have to look this way, but I knew going into it, if, if I married my husband, which I did, I probably was going to have to sacrifice in a way that maybe I never imagined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't it was hard to kind of envision that and process that, Mm -hmm. but it was also leading into the conversation that the sacrifice was also not a negative sacrifice. It was a sacrifice that would, you know, right now it does allow me to stay home part-time with my child. Um, And -hmm. I had no idea that's what I'd wanted, right? I love working and I still work. (laughs) Like there's a reason I went back to work after a month, even though I would never do that again. Um, (laughs) I love, I love the work I do. And I often tell them like, I'm so grateful that I get to stay home when I do and that I can have more flexibility. Or if I decided I don't want to work right now, that his job supports us. Um, That's a major blessing. And I think it took me a long time to realize what that sacrifice could mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I just heard sacrifice means negative, but sacrifice right. for me was blessing. Right. Um, and I want to rewind just a second. You said something that, that made me think, you know, couples, um, talking about, you know, poten- potential hurdles or these things, um, when they're engaged and making sure that they bring it up so that they can work through it. And I think sometimes what happens is that it will get brought up, but, they're not able to reach a resolution and they move mm-hmm. forward anyway. And they say, Oh, Oh, well, we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really common with couples, especially that are in love and are wanting to spend the rest of their lives together. When they see things happen, they think, Oh, we'll, we'll let our future selves handle that. Um, yeah. you know, when it becomes an issue, um, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, mm, I know, yeah. I know obviously work through <laughs> things while you can, yeah. um, but maybe with some, pretend it's something else other than career, you know, pretend it's maybe, 
um, you know, who's going to manage the finances or are you going to stay home with the kid? Um, or, you know, something important, but less, you know, marriage ending, I guess, so to speak. Well, I, I mean, I have my own personal experiences and, you know, it can be little things or major things too. I think it's important that you're being honest from the beginning. So in my relationship, you know, on our first date, he said, do you want kids? And I said, yes. And he said, how many? <laughs> and I said, eight. Um, right. And he was like, what? You want eight kids? So I set this precedent from day one. Like I want a family. I want kids. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we started taking steps to get more serious there were conversations of, you know, I don't, he wasn't sure if he wanted kids, right. Kids for Mm -hmm. him that sacrifice. And at that time, it was really hard for him to see that the sacrifice could be a blessing, but he wasn't really ready to make that decision. And, you know, I just kept saying like, that's okay, but you need to understand if we continue on for me, this isn't something I'm willing to budge on. I'm willing to budge on the number of kids right. um because I have changed from eight to maybe a max of two um <laughs> but uh I there was no changing in that I would change my mind about ever wanting kids right um and so making it clear from day one here are the things I'm willing to compromise or be flexible on and here are the things I'm not right? I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't willing to sacrifice my career fully Right. I, I was willing to be flexible and compromise. I wasn't willing to give up the desire to have a family. I was willing to be flexible and compromised on the amount of children and what, you know, parenting looked like together. Um, but I made it really clear, like, like he made it really clear of this is the job I'm doing. And this is the job I plan on doing until I retire, which means this is what you're going to have to expect right I'm gonna work long hours some days I'm gonna be burnt out some days um I'm gonna be on my phone a lot sometimes during dinner because customers need me um so Mm -hmm. I think it's that constant conversation but also for yourself being really clear of where your boundaries are Mm -hmm. well and I think an overarching thing that I'm seeing with this is that you have to know how much you're willing to put into a marriage, like how much effort, Mm -hmm. how much are you willing to put up with? And I think that's why the divorce rate is so high is because people weren't honest with themselves about what they were willing to go through with someone, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, I'll stick it out with you until, you know, we reach this point, I'll stick it out until we reach this, that point or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, how you answered that question just kept reminding me, like, you have to be willing to work on things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great to have as many things worked out as you can at the beginning of the relationship or at the beginning of the marriage, but there's always going to be things that come up. And at the end of the day, you asked this question on your stories a few days ago about, um, this perspective, do you think that you're the best for somebody or do you think that you both just continue to work on your relationship and that's what makes, you know, your partnership the best. Mm-hmm. And I personally answered that. I think I'm the best for someone because I'm just, <laughs> that's just, 
That makes sense the, now. I was the silent majority, um, or I mean the <laughs> silent minority, I guess. Um, but you know, I do think that my husband and I are unique that we are, we are puzzle pieces that found each other. And I don't think yeah. that that's always the case. You know, I think no. a lot of times people, they have to work through some tough crap mm-hmm. and I'm not saying my husband and I haven't had our challenges, but I honestly, you know, wholeheartedly believe that he was literally the best person in the universe for me. And we just happened to find each other. Um, that may just sound really cliche and people are going to roll their eyes at me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I dated a lot of guys and I've imagined what my life would have been like with some of the ones that at the time I thought were marriage material. And I feel like I have a pretty good idea of some of those relationships and some of them might've been happy relationships, but they would have been really hard, harder than my marriage is now. Mm-hmm. So while I think that there are some people like me that really do find like they're missing puzzle piece, I think that a majority of the time you find somebody that you love with all your heart, but you're, you still have to decide every day that you're committed to face whatever comes your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's the theme too of you keep saying like, well, some people, I shouldn't say you keep saying, but you've said like, some people say, well, we'll talk about it when we get to it. Right. If you're not willing to have this conversation now, what makes you think you're going to be able to, to navigate the conversation better in the future? There might be some chances that'll go better, but if you can't talk about whether you want children as you get married, or if you uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of things of how you want to retire, right? Like what does retirement look like for each of you, right? If you mm-hmm. can't, if you aren't willing to have those conversations now, they're still going to be as challenging when you come to them. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll have more clarity and it's easier to navigate that way. Cause you've had some more life experience, mm-hmm. but if the pattern is, well, we'll talk about it when we get there. We'll talk about it when we get there. It's not going to be any easier. If you're already saying that, what's stopping you from having the conversation now? Right. And I think in addition to putting problems off for the future, it sets this precedent that if I don't want to deal it with it right now, I'm not going to deal with it right now. And you kind of, that's, that becomes like a habit. So I can see that starting to trickle down into like really, um, no, what's the word? Like really superficial things, like Mm -hmm. who's going to take out the trash or who's going to pick up you know, their child from this practice or this rehearsal or whatever. Um, well, I did it last time or you did it last time, you know, and they say, well, you know, forget it. I don't want to talk about it. Or, you know, I'm, that's might be a bad example, but, um, I think that it becomes really easy to brush things off and avoid conflict when you don't have the answer, when you're not willing to, um, kind of push through the burnout of a conversation to get to a place where you are on the same page. Yeah. And I think it's one thing, like my husband and I sometimes will, you know, we'll start to talk about something related to parenting and we're both just like, at the end of the day, like we're just done. We can't talk about it. And we'll say, okay, let's pause and talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but I think that's different than being at odds with each other and knowing when it's a headspace thing, like when it's a mental approach and when it's just that we're avoiding conflict or avoiding, mm-hmm. um, you know, disresolution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to keep avoiding and avoiding and avoiding, I tell my couples this all the time, 
Conflict will keep coming up. You can only avoid it for so long, but it's going to sneak in until you actually work on it and resolve it. Mm -hmm. There's no disappearing from it. It doesn't disappear. The only reason it disappears is because you let it go and it often then shows up in resentment. If it's something Mm -hmm. that was important to you that you let go. Right. So where do you draw a line with how, how many things people should work out before they, they marry somebody say that you're going to sit down and talk about some of these bigger things like kids, who's going to manage finances, who's going to work, who's going to, you know, have all these big responsibilities, these kind of, um, you know, things that you build your life around. Um, what about smaller things like household chores and, um, you know, how often you're going to vacation or I don't know, I'm just throwing mm-hmm. out kind of yeah, arbitrary yeah. things like friends and things like that. Wh- where yeah. do you draw a line with saying, okay, well, you're going to take out the trash. I'll do the dishes. Um, do you think trivial things like that are something that should be discussed or kind of mapped out? Or do you think there's a line where you just, you know, agree that you're going to work through things once you have kind of hammered out the more important things? Well, and I, I only okay. ask, I only ask this because I know sometimes in marriage, the trivial things become really big issues yeah. between couples. And I don't know, I'm asking, yeah. is that significant of bigger issues or is it that people really had expectations on these little things? And mm-hmm. so yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, it's funny. It's, you know, often when I'm working with my couples, or even in, like I'm thinking about our own premarital counseling, I start with the trivial things, right? Well, let's just explore chores and household responsibilities. Let's explore roles and expectations around that. Who's going to take out the trash, right? Often it's, well, they, oh, ah, you're not going to do it. I'm doing it. Why do I have to do it? We get to see what it's going to be like as they navigate these roles and expectations. Yeah. So sometimes it's really streamlined of this is their strength. So that is going to be the responsibility. Like in my relationship, my husband takes care of all vehicles. He's a car lover. It, w- it makes no sense for me to take ownership of that because I'm like, what is this? I don't even know if my gas is full. I didn't know I left the lights on. Like that's on my strong suit. Um, so some of those areas are easy to navigate with people, but chores, not always easy. Mm-hmm. And it's trivial, right? It's just the trash. Why does that matter to your relationship? But like you're saying, if you can't work through these small little things, what does that mean when big things come up, when big conflicts arise between you? The more that you can navigate these trivial things or these small areas, it's the practicing ground to navigate the more challenging, bigger Mm -hmm. concerns that will arise. Mm -hmm. Um, So we often, I mean, in my work and most therapy models, we will start with the small, like, well, let's Mm -hmm. just start here before we work to the bigger. And if, people are really struggling with who takes out the trash or who does the dishes. It's a great entryway for me as a therapist to then have that conversation. So what's going to happen when something bigger comes, comes to play in your relationship? What do you want to do? Do you want to learn how to handle these conversations in a healthier manner or have conflict resolution skills to build upon this? Or do you want to keep pushing it off or keep saying like, we'll figure it out when we get there? Because you can't predict everything, 
but you can practice now and be intentional of how you communicate and navigate these things together to set you up to succeed when the life-threatening, unexpected, devastating events that can happen in life come your way. Right. So let me ask you a follow-up question then. Mm -hmm. Um, In your opinion or in your experience, is it evident whether or not arguing about really arbitrary things is representative of there already being a larger issue? Or do you think that it's more of superficial individual expectations that have not been communicated? Mm, I think my leaning into is always to say both. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, the superficial, I forget the wording you use, but more of those well, just, superficial expectations right. is a sign of the maturity, right? Of, mm-hmm. you know, what maturity level you are, are you at? How realistic are you being? of Mm -hmm. how this is going to be in your relationship. Um, But my first thought was if, if they're not willing to navigate conflict now, it's definitely a red flag moving forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Whether it's trivial or big, you have to learn how to make conflict work for you rather than against you. And if you're, if you're not willing to have that conversation with your partner in any kind of manner, that's very concerning for a relationship. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any other reason for asking that other than like in movies, a lot of times Mm -hmm. what you see is a couple that's on like the verge of divorce and they're, you know, they're snapping at each other about, you know, who left the toothpaste, you know, cap off or whatever, you know, and it's like, (laughs) Um, you know, I know we were talking more about chores than I switched to that, but that's just something funny that I thought of, but you know, is, is that a sign of, you know, just that's where I was kind of coming from. Is that a sign of there's already a bigger issue and they're just taking it out on each other with resentment or do they really just have misaligned expectations? But I guess, like you said, it can be both. Yeah, Um, I think it can be both, but I probably, I mean, I would lean towards of you know, if we take the getting upset about the toothpaste cap, right? Typically there's a conflict that hasn't been resolved and now it's showing up because of the toothpaste cap. Or the towel on the floor or the yeah. clothes that haven't been put away or, yeah, you know, put, you are putting avoiding, your shoes in the wrong spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're avoiding and you have not resolved an issue that arose and now you're being nitpicky or yeah. every little thing is irking you or hurting you mm-hmm. because there's no understanding of what's happened. Right. And I think I'll also notice, I think we talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, but I'll notice these kinds of behaviors start to arise in myself if I haven't taken enough time for myself. Yep. So I don't, I mean, not to discredit what you just said, but I don't think it always has to do with the marriage. I think that sometimes it can definitely be, um, that we, we're not in our best space personally. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, in my experience is that it often comes back to roles and expectations, right? We start to serve in a role that we think our partner expects of us, which then sometimes leads to us not taking care of ourselves, Mm -hmm. or we serve in a role that we think is, this is what makes me a good partner, but no one has dictated that that's what you have to do. 
and then you burn yourself Mm -hmm. out or you stop taking care of yourself and now you are taking it out on everyone Mm -hmm. or on anything right so it comes back to that theme of roles and expectations right so when you are in session with couples and I know we've talked a lot about expectations and responsibility Mm -hmm. already but think virtue wise what is normally the biggest um, obvious glaring like misalignment with virtues that you see in couples Um, like for me whenever I go to a a wedding shower or people ask you know for marital advice you know just kind of half-heartedly oh what's one thing that you would a piece of advice you would give to a couple my thing is always communication and to never keep anything to yourself because although you'll face a lot of issues where communication is not the main problem. If you have a healthy communicative relationship with your partner, it always helps no matter what you're going through. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's where I'm, that's one example of what I'm asking, like honesty, loyalty. Is it a lack of communication? Is it, you know, what are some of the big, you know, virtues that, you know, we all expect to be part of a healthy relationship that, are the first thing that you notice when couples are struggling? I mean, communication and conflict resolution are typically the top two. Um, Man, I mean, those are always the presenting. I mean, it makes sense. That's often why people come into couples counseling. I mean, I know this isn't necessarily well, kind of my experience, but I also know like trust and loyalty, right? And fidelity is an area that can come up a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it comes back to rules and expectations too, though. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes that is what the communication and conflict issue is around is mm-hmm. this idea of, well, I expected it was going to be this way right. and reality is hitting them. And now they're, they don't know how to navigate out of their ideal world into the realistic of how do you make this work for you? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. Maybe it doesn't make sense for one partner to do the household stuff because their strengths are somewhere else. And the other partner really enjoys doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now in a, in my experience, it's, we're moving out of these traditional roles and expectations into more egalitarian. Is it egalitarian? Yeah. I have no clue. I think so. Well, and more like equal roles and expectations, right? right? Yeah. We're, we are shifting that narrative and that's hard for couples to break down of, mm-hmm. you know, the reality is women can make more and don't have a glass ceiling above them anymore. Women are able to work just as hard as men maybe make as much as men or even make more. There's, there's more opportunities available, which means how do we navigate home? How do we navigate personal work life, career life? Who, who steps into what role? It looks mm-hmm. a little bit different than the generations that we have been looking at what marriage looks like with. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, to, to support what you and I have both said, you know, you said roles and responsibility and expectations being the primary thing. And I think for me, communication goes hand in hand with that, because I can remember vividly 
I was only dating Josh for two months, I think when I shared with him, like my deepest, darkest secret. And, um, I think a lot of people would have kept that to themselves until they felt like there was no turning back or they felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, people are afraid to open up that part of themselves, even if they're in a healthy relationship that they can see going well. And I don't think that I jumped into early with that information. I mean, we were married 10 months into dating, so, you know, we were pretty serious, pretty fast, but I, I have felt like personally, our relationship got to a point where we both saw this going a long ways. And before we got further than we could turn around from, I wanted to make sure that he knew what he was getting himself into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that our society struggles with right now is vulnerability and, yeah. um, being willing to put yourself on display and, you know, expose your weaknesses and your, um, your vulnerabilities. Um, and that was a really, really, really hard thing for me to do, but it was something that I had to really work through in my mind and prepare myself for because it could have ended our relationship. And I was prepared for that possibility, but I Mm -hmm. loved this person. And I wanted to make sure that they, they saw me for who I was before, before it was too late for them to admit that it was too big of a deal to turn back from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because that's kind of the underlining issue with communication, conflict roles and expectations is each partner's either unwillingness or not fully understanding what vulnerability is. Mm -hmm. Um, And vulnerability is risky. Uh, But I like what you said too of, I made the choice to do this and I was prepared to deal with whatever happened, whether it was good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think often people are like, well, I was vulnerable once and it didn't go well. So therefore Mm -hmm. I won't be vulnerable again. But real vulnerability is you feeling safe enough to share that. If the other person doesn't receive it well, it doesn't mean that the vulnerability was bad. That person wasn't ready to go, to go there with you. And that says Mm -hmm. more, more about them than you. Right. Right? And we internalize it. Mm hmm. I think another reason people have trouble sharing things like that is because of shame too. It's not yeah. just, you know, well, will they judge me? But it it brings up all of these feelings and emotions and thoughts around whatever it was that you're afraid to put on display. You know, whether you made a bad choice or something happened to you, or you know, you have a criminal past or whatever it is, if you convince yourself that I wouldn't do those things anymore, that's not who I am. That's not who I want to be seen as. I don't want them to look at me differently. You know, you can talk yourself out of being honest, but the bottom line is even if you wouldn't make that choice again, or you shouldn't have made the choice or whatever happened, shouldn't have happened. It's still a part of who you are. And that's going to come out at some point, whether you admit it now, or if it comes out in 20 years, you know, you can't just hide parts of yourself. And I think especially people that have gone through trauma compartmentalize their lives and, you know, they put their bad experiences in a bubble and they try to, 
you know, just work around the bubble constantly without popping it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's funny that we're talking about vulnerability now, because I think it goes back to that question you asked earlier of how do you know if you're ready for marriage, right? Are you willing mm-hmm. to be vulnerable with this person? Right. Are you, are you willing to share those deep and dark secrets? Do you trust them enough to hold that with you? If you cannot say yes, then you probably need more time to sort out if this is the direction the relationship is going. Right. Um, because that, I think, you know, what makes the successful relationships is that ability to be vulnerable with each other, even when it's hard, even mm-hmm. when it's scary, um, but that you're still able to do it and push into it with each other. Right. And you saying trust just immediately was like, ah, yes. Cause I was thinking, you know, there's another angle to this. And in addition to it, you know, being a huge objective or hurdle for you to work through your own vulnerability, it's also whether or not you trust that person enough. And if you can't trust them to share, you know, your most vulnerable parts, um, you know, infidelity usually comes from a lack of trust. trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you don't trust somebody to be completely honest with them, I mean, that's usually how infidelity starts is you, you connect with somebody that you're able to be vulnerable with Mm -hmm. and that creates a bond. And so being able to be vulnerable with somebody is not just scary and important, but it's, it's completely a bonding experience for you and somebody. So to be able to set a foundation with your spouse early on that you can share whatever it is, no matter how treacherous, and you can let that, you know, emotionally connect you, then I feel like you have a much better chance of being successful because if you're able to share anything with them, you won't be looking to do that outside of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's what heals infidelity too, is the ability to be vulnerable again with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, not everyone who goes through an affair or infidelity ends their relationship. Right. Um, and it's, it's often because, you know, they're able to both be so vulnerable through the pain that it becomes healing right. in that process. That's beautiful. So we are going to go ahead and end part one of the interview right there. Uh, kind of a heavy spot to leave off. But when we come back, we will jump right back in with some more great conversation. So if you enjoyed today, please come back and join us again next week as Rachel and I finish out this conversation about marriage. It's going to be great. And I hope you uh, tell all your friends to join as well. Have a great week.